This is a special KCSB News presentation. Spotlight on the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi. The festival opens tonight with the screening of Phantom of the Open at the Arlington Theater. And over the next 10 days, theaters on State Street will be showing movies from early morning until late into the evening. There are a lot of ways for locals to participate, from getting a full festival pass or buying a ticket or two for a single screening. Coming up, you'll hear from a couple of filmmakers speaking about their movies. First, for a bigger picture of the festival and what went into bringing this year's event together, KCSB's Harry Lawton spoke with Roger Derling and his programming team. There was a new team around the table this year. Claudia Puig is the SPIF's new program director coming to us following a lengthy career as film critic and cultural commentator in many uh, outlets. Natalie Gee joined us on Zoom from New York City and Ernie Quiroz called in from Arizona. He's moved uh, from aspiring filmmaker to festival programmer and actually worked for SPIF last year during the lockdown. Roger Derling began by expressing his delight at being able to screen movies this year in theatres before live audiences and reminded us of his view that no work of art, particularly film, is really complete without the ability to discuss it with whatever form, with a companion or just a fellow film goer or observer. I'm super excited. I teach at Santa Barbara City College. You know that, Harry. And I always tell my students that a work of art is not fully realized until you share your feelings about what you experience with somebody else. Whether you go to a museum and you, you admire a painting, that transaction is not fully accomplished until you turn to somebody and you express what you saw, what you felt. And that works the same way for cinema. In the past two years, because of you know, the pandemic, we, that, the connectivity, the community building aspect of cinema it wasn't, it wasn't, that transaction wasn't as successful. And I think that it took a toll on all of us. Um, that said, because of cinema, the fact that we were able to stream things at home, you know, we were being entertained. But that aspect that I mentioned, that transaction where you have a human interaction with somebody else about how a work of art affected you was missing. And it is community building. And that's what the film festival does. The Santa Barbara Hotel will not serve this year as a hub where film goers and directors could normally gather. Roger points out that there will be a filmmaker's happy hour each evening at the Arlington Tent, where people can indeed rub shoulders with actors and directors. So the social connection will remain. You know, the Education Center, which is across the Arlington Theater, that will be open and that will be the place where you can meet other filmmakers. It won't be as loungy as the Hotel Santa Barbara used to be because of the current circumstances. There is going to be um, a filmmaker's happy hour adjacent to the Arlington in the evenings, and that will be a great place for you, Harry, to grab a pint and, <laughs> and talk to other 
fellow filmmakers. I mean, there'll be opportunities for yeah. socializing, not as fruitful as years past, but you know, we're 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 doing baby steps. We moved on to Roger's thoughts on the stars and other artists to be honored at a series of Arlington events this year. He likens these events to essential window dressing, as in an old-fashioned department store where you need a bit of glitter up front to get people inside the door. There is certainly a great variety of artists whom film fans will be excited to see in person, and Roger went on to list a few with some pride. We actually did tremendously this year in our guests. You know, we have to invite everybody in the fall um, so they can plan their schedule and then come to the festival. And I always, I think I mentioned this at the press conference, is that I, I always do well with our guests, but I miss out on one person not getting a nod. But this year I'm batting a thousand. Even people like Kristen Stewart that she had missed on SAG nominations and BAFTA, and some people were were writing her chances of getting nominated, and she made it. And actually tomorrow we're announcing Penelope Cruz. Everybody who's coming is nominated or frontrunners, you know. Will Smith is the frontrunner for getting his overdue Oscar for Best Actor, and he'll be here. And Javier Bardem, who I went out to bat for him, and, and he was the surprise nominee. We're golden. There followed a brief discussion regarding particularly Benedict Cumberbatch to be honored for his performance, among others, in The Power of the Dog by Jane Champion, and the ability of certain British actors to slip seamlessly and quintessentially into quintessentially American roles. But I was also reminded that plenty of American actors also crossed the Atlantic in the other direction to do equally well in British movies, particularly on television. We then moved into the heart of the festival, the films themselves, and the more prominent themes that will be on display this year. We started with my observation that this year, there seem to be a fair number, but not uniquely this year, fairly high proportion of women directors, notably from South and Central America. Bernie Quiros agreed. Well, of course, he had chosen most of them himself and lamenting only that, uh, by contrast, the United States was lagging behind in this area. He also regretted having to leave out certain films, there being only room in the schedule for so many. There are so many countries that um, support cinema and support female filmmakers, support uh, indigenous filmmakers, support filmmakers of color, uh, some more LGBT filmmakers. You know, sadly, America sort of lags behind in, in a lot of those areas. Uh, I'm always thrilled to see the films coming out from Latin America. There, there's just so many, you know, there's the 23 different countries. There's there's different uh, different languages, different indigenous people from every single country, different religions, histories, backgrounds, uh, politics, and uh, to sort of represent that in film is, is a thrill. And, you know, it's always an embarrassment of riches. I mean, there's always too many films and we can never show all the films that we want to show. Uh, we have to make the hard decisions. Uh, but no, I, I'm happy to see that we're getting there in terms of representation, uh, female filmmakers, filmmakers of color, indigenous filmmakers. Um, I don't know, Claudia, if, if you want to talk more about maybe some of the, the big picture numbers in terms of female filmmakers. 
Yeah, we do have a lot of uh, female filmmakers coming, as you pointed out, Ernie, from all over the world. And I do think that America is is lagging behind a little bit, but we there are strides being made. Um, I think there was just a study that came out of USC where white women seem to be making some strides. It's still women of color still have, you know, some distance to go, but we have films from all over the world. We have, you know, women filmmakers represented from Asia and um, the United States, Canada, France, Italy, various parts of Asia as well. So we're, that's something that we're extremely mindful of, making sure that our representation is diverse. Also, we have a separate seminar. We'll be talking about two women filmmakers. It's a women filmmakers seminar and making sure that people make those connections with each other too, because there's a lot of power in sort of coalescing and and sisterhood and all of that. So we're, you know, really excited about that. I posed a question to Natalie Gee, who curated the Shorts program this year. And I wondered, well, this is a path for women into film production. That's an interesting question. Sometimes I think a shot is just as hard to make as a feature, but definitely um, has a lot more um, opportunities for first-time filmmakers um, because generally I suppose the scale is a little smaller but sometimes you look at a shot and its production values are super sleek and it has stars in it and um, it's really interesting what a short filmmaker can do and we have a really um, fantastic lineup of shots this year. I'm really proud of them. We have them from over 25 countries and we have 27 world premieres and 33 US premieres, which is really exciting. And they have a whole bunch of different themes, really. Um, There's shots on identity and integrity and shades of love. Uh, We have some fantastic comedy shots. Um, And of course, the local Santa Barbara filmmakers as well. And we have just some really great um, documentaries on Santa Barbara in terms of people and places. And it's a really uh, unique lineup and I'm really excited. I agree with her that it is a hard question to answer definitively. Certainly there's a large program of shorts this year exploring a great variety of genres. And once again, a fair proportion of them are indeed directed by women. It also takes rather less money to direct a 10 or 15 minute film, obviously, than a 90 minute feature. And many directors of both sexes have begun their careers precisely directing shorts. Natalie does point out but the list includes a number of films exploring themes like identity, the hopes and disappointments of love, commonly crises, themes that are particularly attractive for women to explore. Fifty years ago, a huge explosion beneath one of the many oil rigs off the Santa Barbara shoreline deposited a toxic sludge on our beaches, touching off another massive explosion from the political to the academic levels. Earth Day was born out of that avoidable disaster. More importantly, pressure to decreate the Environmental Protection Agency later signed into law by Richard Nixon. Here at UCSB, the Environmental Studies Program was born as recorded in a short documentary made by local film director, Isaac Hernandez, entitled very simply, 50 Years of Environmental Studies at UCSB. 
the film, as much as it's focused on the history, it's really focused on the possibility of this history for the future. We're at a very in, in, uh, crucial times in, in environmental activism. And so it's really an inspiring story of how all these people are coming together to find solutions through this interdisciplinary thinking. This program has not only taught undergraduates the basics, but the film shows how it's also trained teachers, researchers, and of course, activists who have been teaching and preaching the necessity and the means of creating a clean environment in the interests of national health and justice. Also this year, SPIF offers a number of stirring documentaries on this issue, which is no longer academic. Natalie Gee referred to a powerful documentary in this category from Iceland, which is entitled From the Wild Sea. From the Wild Sea that also deals with microplastics and how that's impacting marine wildlife. And I would definitely highly recommend that one. It's a very powerful look at medical um, medics that are on the beach helping these wildlife animals um, mm. and it deals with climate change and microplastics and the impact on the ocean and the wildlife and it's a beautiful documentary. Another film on this theme that certainly caught my attention was called entitled Guardians of the Dead Sea which is Israeli. It documents the efforts of an uh, international group of environmentalists, Israelis, Palestinians and Jordanians in unison, their efforts to restore the sea as a living habitat and literally save it from extinction. Those worried about the Salton Sea in California should take note. The movie offers an implicit appeal for unity among Middle Eastern peoples to work together on questions of mutual concerns rather than concentrate on defense and preparations for conflict. Referring back to women fighting for justice and recognition, I'd like to quote a couple of films worth close attention and certainly deserving wider distribution. Both are narratives based on true stories of women and their strength to fight back against the trauma of horrific assaults from their husbands in both cases. Often the worst violence against women often comes from within the family. In so doing, these women achieve true agency and independence, and finally, recognition. These stories also come from countries which are notorious for systemic violence against women, India and Iran, the latter of which, of course, I point out, is a theocracy. The film from India is called Gita, the other from Iran is called Orca, and these drew very strong recommendations from both our women programmers, as you might imagine. First, Natalie comments on the Iranian film, Gita. Gita is really powerful. Like you said, it's um, a mother and daughter that had an acid attack by their husband slash father. And it's all about, you know, how they turned that situation around and they're trying to raise more awareness about acid attacks in India on women. And the filmmaker um, is planning on coming to the festival as well. So I think that'll be a really powerful Q&A at the end of the movie. And then Laudia chimes in on Orca. This is a, uh, a narrative film, and but it's based on a true story of a woman who actually, her, after she endured this terrible beating that nearly killed her, um, she finds salvation in 
the opportunity to swim, endurance swimming in the ocean, which is not allowed in Iran. She has to swim in a full burqa and um, she is trying to beat the um, the Guinness Book record, which uh, and it's not being uh, acknowledged by the Iranian government. So um, she faces, you know, political obstacles, religious obstacles, um, and she is determined. And it's a really uplifting and inspiring story. Finally, there's just time to refer to a fascinating segment, a series of documentaries devoted to film on film, which should appeal to the true cineast among you. There's a tribute to the archivists of the conservationists, whose mission is to save films from decay and even extinction. Look for the title in the program, The Living Memory of Our Record. Also, there's a tribute to the long-lived Roger Corman, the director Roger Corman, who is also called, the the film itself is called The King of Pop Cinema. Corman himself, old as he is, has been invited to attend and will attend. You may think of him as making only biker movies and cheap schlock movies, but his importance is that he also served as mentor and guide some of the most famous directors and actors of the 1970s. These include Coppola, Bogdanovich, and actors Peter Fonda and Jack Nicholson. Interestingly, the director is happy to be French, which is a story in itself. I'm also grateful to an intervention at this point from Ernie Quiroz, who pointed out that there's a documentary called The Taking, which is about the role of Monument Valley in the, uh, the Navajo Territory its importance in the history of Westerns, and particularly the work, of, the work of John Ford. This director also is not American. He's not French either, but he is French-Swiss. And his crew also includes a number of people who actually trained in Santa Barbara. Finally, there's a film called Only in Theatres, a documentary chronicling the history of the Lemley family with their immigrant ancestor, Carl, who founded the Universal Pictures some years later. The Lemley chain has worked tirelessly down the years to keep art cinema alive and available to all in Los Angeles and elsewhere. The film was directed by Raphael Sklarge with the indispensable aid of Greg Lemley, himself fourth generation of the Lemley family. Carl is, you know, a, a major figure in the history of the, you know, the cinema industry, arguably, you know. <laughs> The, the founding mogul, um, you know, so to speak, he was born in, a, in a, the city of Laupine, which is in uh, southern Germany in the Schwabia near Stuttgart. Um, he emigrated to the United States in the 19th century, and uh, he was working in, in dry goods, um, you know, basically running a mercantile establishment in, I believe, in Oshkosh, um, traveled to Chicago, uh, and saw, you know, the apocryphal story is he saw a line of people standing outside a, a business, you know, going in, leaving money, walking out without anything. Um, of course, that was a Nickelodeon. And he just thought, well, that's a great retail business because, you know, you don't actually have to sell them anything. <laughs> it's hard work. Imani a sustained effort. And we owe the Lemleys an awful lot. So as you can see, although this is rather superficial, it's a great lineup. Do yourself a favor and go and see as many of these films as possible. And above all, take advantage of all the free afternoon matinees and you'll discover and rediscover really some great gems. This is Harry Lawton reporting for KCSB.
This is a special KCSB News presentation of the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi. Santa Barbara-based filmmaker and actress Leslie Zemeckis wrote and directed a movie that's premiering at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. KCSB's Jackie Sedley spoke with Miss Zemeckis about her movie Grand Horizontal, which shines a spotlight on French courtesans in the 1800s. Hi, Leslie. Thank you so much for being willing to talk to me ahead of your ahead of your busy day. Absolutely. So let's just dive right in. So your newest documentary, Grandes Horizontes, follows the lives of France's most famous courtesans during the Second Empire. What's behind the, the title of this film? Let's start there. Well, the top of the top courtesans were called Grand Horizontals, um, which you can kind of figure what it is, horizontal. It was really just a handful of women that, that reached the top tier of their profession that were given so many riches, had so much power and freedom that most women at that time could not um, could not have. There was just no way for them. So that's kind of who they are. They're the elites of the elite. Okay. So I, I think it's safe to say this is somewhat of a fairly niche topic. Uh, where does your interest come from for this documentary? I've always been interested um, in these women, and I've read a lot of books, um, and I don't think people really ever got it right. Um, I'm very much interested in women that are labeled and dismissed and marginalized, and I and I think these women were, you know, they did the best they could for their time, it, um, and it's just I really wanted to examine where they came from instead of condemning them for their choices. Why did they make their choices? Did did they make the most out of their lives that they could at the time? And, you know, in general, they did. They were muses to artists and novelists and sculptors. And I just really wanted to get behind um, who they really were. So what goes into making a film like this, one that's clearly so rooted in, in history and the past? Um, a lot of his, a lot of research. I do my own research, um, a lot of reading, just everything. I spent some time in France on it and just digging through newspapers to see what was written about them during their day, which is quite different than then later books are written about them uh, to really see how influential they were. They were very much in the newspaper, so there actually is a lot on them. And, um, you know, just just digging as many resources as, as I can find. And as you mentioned, Leslie, a lot of your previous work focuses on, on women, sometimes maligned women or misrepresented women in history. Is that the main kind of focal point of a lot of your work is focusing on that categorization of women? Yes, and it, it was just by happenstance you know, with my first documentary on burlesque and realizing how these women were just dismissed as strippers. And I just, these kind of stories that are really unearthed um, is really uh, important to me in shining a light on them and, and their influence, you know, still today and kind of giving them their due. Can you say more on that influence up until today and how that kind of comes into the present? 
Well, they were huge fashion influences. Um, you know, they were written about what they wore. I mean, you can see, you know, the corset is still around. You know, there's this whole subculture um, of of women who recreate these costumes from, from, you know, from all kinds of eras, but a lot from this, which was the Second Empire, 1850s to 1870, um, of these amazing costumes, and they walk around and wear them and and... You know, it's it's super interesting. So so that, but they're in a lot of novels that are still explored, like Nana and and just I, I think there's this fascination with women who led a different life than most quote unquote normal people. Or nowadays, I mean, it's it's a culture that's not around anymore. Uh, it really kind of died out. Um, you know. With this era, uh, it, it, it went a little bit afterwards, but it's just not uh, a kind of woman that's around. Just like burlesque is very different than what it really was, or uh, the circus or the sideshow that was a huge form of entertainment at its time, but it, it is no longer. So I like to kind of reexamine and 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 find out what that really was like how did these women live where did they go what what could they do what couldn't they do mm. so your film will premiere at the 37th annual Santa Barbara International Film Festival this week but that's not the only festival you've been selected for correct correct i can't even list them all off we've already even though it hasn't screened we've won four or five awards for best documentary, um, for best editing, best short documentary. Um, but we will finally get to see it with an audience this week, which I'm really excited. And how does it feel to be chosen for these awards and chosen to screen this in front of an audience at this festival? You know, it's, it's satisfying, not for me, but I think for my subject matters that, that people that I'm right, that these, these women are interesting and are worthy of a of a look at their lives. So to me, it's satisfying on, on their behalf, really. All right. Well, Leslie Zemeckis, thank you so much for chatting with me ahead of your screening. Thank you. And by the way, you can see Leslie's new self-written, self-directed documentary, Grandes Horizontalist, at the Metro 4 Theater on March 4th in Theater 3. The screening starts at 8.40 p.m., followed by a Q&A with Leslie Zemeckis. You can purchase tickets on the Santa Barbara International Film Festival's website. I'll see you all there. <laughs> You've been listening to a special KCSB News presentation of the Santa Barbara International Film Festival and tonight's opening night. State Street Theaters will be a buzz with tributes, awards, and a lot of movie screenings. More information is available at sbiff.org. To listen to more of KCSB's coverage of the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, including interviews with filmmakers, go to soundcloud.com slash kcsbfm or search for KCSB News wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi. Our theme music is Entrepreneurs by Scott Holmes. Inside Isla Vista will return next Wednesday at 5 p.m. And until then, have a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm.